So today um, we are wrapping up our Advent sermon series. We're doing things a little bit differently this year um, in that we've had a series the past few weeks and we're, we're going to finish it today. Um, we've talked so far about being awake and tolerant and anchored. And we've had some pretty direct words of instruction from God uh, each of these weeks, all from the epistle readings that we've had. Things like, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, or welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, or establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Today, we don't get that kind of instruction quite so clearly. We're going to have to work a little bit to see what God is calling us to do in order to prep for Jesus' coming, but but I don't think it's going to be too hard, because what we lack in direct instruction today is more than made up for by the example that God will set before us. So it's a bit of an unorthodox approach, I guess, but then again, the title of today's message is Unorthodox. Now, in my line of work, uh, to be unorthodox is about the worst thing you can be. Uh, So let me clarify exactly what we mean by that. In in theology, when something is unorthodox, it means it's unbiblical, that that it goes against the the faith of the one true church, that it's not of the right praise, as the Greek roots would suggest. This is not what we mean here when we're talking about being unorthodox today. Uh, What we mean is that unorthodox also can, can have this definition of uh, going against kind of conventional understanding or conventional wisdom, going against social norms or expectations. Uh, like when you hear about how an athlete has unorthodox form or how somebody's really, really good at what they do, but, but their methods are a bit unorthodox. You know, preppers of any kind are usually considered unorthodox anyway. And so that's the kind of unorthodox that we're talking about today. That's the kind of unorthodox that Jesus is calling us to be this Advent. So about 2,000 years ago, uh, God called someone in an unorthodox way to live kind of an unorthodox life. So let's watch a a video that shares a little bit about that. Joseph. Joseph. I promise you, Joseph, I am telling you the truth. I'm not saying you don't believe it. I'm just saying... I don't know if I do. So, what are you saying? Take her as your wife. Take her as your wife. She's pregnant! I haven't been with her! The baby's not mine! Take Mary as your wife. I can't do this! I don't... I don't want to hurt her. But I... I can't. Joseph, you are a descendant of David. Your ancestors have taken great steps of faith, and now it is time for you to step out. Take Mary as your wife. But the baby is... What is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. It is prophecy fulfilled. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Today, God places before us an example for us to follow in his servant, Joseph. Joseph's the most famous stepfather in history, stepfather to the Son of God. But Joseph doesn't know all of that yet. And to be honest, we don't really know that much about him. Here in Matthew, we're not given this this lengthy introduction to Joseph, unless you count the genealogy, which tells us that he's a descendant of David. Aside from that, all we're told, and apparently all we need to know for now, is that Joseph is a just man. Joseph stands out. Matthew wants us to understand Joseph in the same category as as other people in Scripture that, that are described in this way. People like Noah, people like like Daniel, people like Job. Now these weren't perfect people. But for the most part, they put the Lord's agenda ahead of their own. And and as a result, they stood out among their generation. And so Joseph was, like his royal father David before him, very much a man after God's own heart. But then Joseph's heart is broken. Because even though he has made the law of God his sole devotion, it appears as if Mary has not. This just man becomes, as far as anyone can tell, the victim of a grave injustice for his betrothed bride has been unfaithful. Joseph goes from being engaged to being enraged, or more probably just downright brokenhearted. Confusion, anguish, hopelessness, Sacred promises have been broken. Bright hopes for the future have been dashed to pieces along with Joseph's heart. Some of us know these sorts of things all too well, maybe especially at this time of year. You thought your dreams were maybe finally going to come true. Then the ultrasound couldn't find a heartbeat. Or maybe your dreams had come true and and they were robbed from you by the scourge of divorce. The loss of health, the loss of a loved one can make this hopeful time of year full of nothing but dread and despair. I'm willing to bet Joseph felt that way. The most hopeful time in his life, a a time where where he has a newly pledged bride that they're about to start this whole life together. 
all just, just gone in a moment. Joseph probably found himself mourning the injustice of it all in stupefied astonishment that this was now his life. He must have found it terribly unfair. Being the just man that he was, he knew he had to divorce Mary. This was the orthodox thing to do. This was what justice and the law of God demanded. But instead of exposing her to public shame and an open trial, Joseph determines that he will divorce her quietly. Now, this is perhaps not so orthodox or conventional. Turning the other cheek, refusing to prosecute Mary to the fullest extent of the law, giving up his rights of vengeance and, and probably some pretty, pretty severe or heavy financial gain. It demonstrates his heart of compassion and mercy. Joseph is poised to do the right thing, the orthodox thing, but he doesn't have all of the information. Joseph is about to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Especially this time of year, you know, putting up the tree, putting up all the lights outside, wrapping the presents that you've, you've already charged to your credit card. Do you ever find yourself doing the right things for the wrong reasons? Do you find it hard to uh, go with the flow with your heart kind of coming along for the ride? Has your heart been broken one too many times to the point where you just don't feel like you have one to invest anymore? It's hard to be an Advent prepper when it's a struggle just to go through the motions. If you find yourself in that position today, I'd invite you to ask God to help change your perspective. Don't do the right things for the wrong reasons. Don't let this be just another Christmas. Pray for God's perspective to enliven your heart again. He did for Joseph, and he'll do it for you too. Back to Matthew. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. How quickly things can change. Joseph's mind is made up, and his agonizing deliberations have left his heart heavy and his eyelids also, and so he drifts off to sleep, knowing that when he awakens, the actions he must undertake will change his life forever. He doesn't know the half of it, for the news he's about to receive will not only correct his misunderstanding, but blow it completely out of the water, and with it, all of Joseph's fear and apprehension and heartbreak. As he lies in bed, even though he sleeps, Joseph is nevertheless made conscious of the most grandiose of divine plans, plans to, that are already well underway, plans that include a vital role for Joseph himself to play. Here in this amazing technicolor dream, God cuts athwart the thoughts of man, even this just man, 
revealing his surprising and unconventional plan to save the world. Using our own reason or strength or morality might bring us to a certain place of piety like it did for Joseph, but it will never bring us to a place of complete comprehension of God's purposes. For that, we need to hear from him directly. We need him to come along and to correct our misperceptions, to heal our hearts broken by sin, to realign our sensibilities with his truth, to shock our well-meaning intentions into complete alignment with his good and gracious will. Well, God does. He has. God has revealed to you, not in a dream, but in his holy word, the grand rescue operation that he has already set into motion through his son, as well as your place in it. So have you allowed God to surprise you lately? On the night that he surprised Joseph, it it couldn't have been more unexpected. God was doing a new and strange thing. He had orchestrated a virgin conception to save the world. Now, we have this promise given to us in Isaiah chapter 7 of, of a sign of a child born of a virgin that would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, as remarkable as this promise and, and as profound as it still is for us today, it would have been far more remarkable and far more profound for Joseph because... In Joseph's day, despite the fact that there were many, many, many prophecies that the Jews of his time were expecting the Messiah to fulfill, this actually wasn't one of them. In Joseph's day, Isaiah 7, 14 was considered a prophecy fulfilled long ago, something that was was over and done with. And so Matthew's assertion that this promise spoke of an actual virgin giving birth to God's son was an unorthodox reading, to say the least. But it was true. This prophecy foretold the most unorthodox birth in human history. Now, it was surprising enough when Sarah gave birth to Isaac at age 90, and when, when Rebecca and, and Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth all had children in old age after many barren years. It seemed that whenever barren women appeared in Scripture, something big was about to happen. But these highly improbable births were mere forerunners to a flat-out impossible birth that God made possible, a child born of a virgin. The ancient church father Tertullian has written, He who was going to consecrate a new order of birth must himself be born after a novel fashion. This is the new nativity. A man is born in God. And in this man, God was born. God tells Joseph that Jesus will save his people from their sins, and he does it in a completely unpredictable, unexpected, unorthodox way. And if a virgin birth makes your jaw drop, just wait until God dies on a cross. Wait until a dead man comes back to life forever. God has always worked in new and strange ways. He chose Paul, the persecutor of the church, the Jew of Jews, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
He chose the murderer, Moses, to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. He chooses you and me to be his hands and his feet and his mouth in this world. The God who is always making things new is constantly doing the unpredictable, the unexpected, the unorthodox in our lives. Forgiving sins. Restoring hearts that have been broken for years. Giving life where there is nothing but death. And his means are pretty unorthodox too. Simple water, bread and wine, the flesh and blood of a baby, the, the creator of all things visible and invisible, wearing a diaper and lying in a manger. But all of this is how God chooses to be with us. This is how Emmanuel chooses to be Emmanuel. God is with you and in a far better way than you ever could have imagined. Matthew, one more time. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. For the past three weeks in our sermon series, we've been instructed by God to be three things, awake, tolerant, and anchored. And it occurs to me that as soon as Joseph's dream was over, he immediately became all three of these things. He awakened to action, realizing that salvation was nearer now than when he had first believed. He took the scandalously pregnant Mary home as his wife, welcoming her as God had welcomed him. And he found himself firmly anchored by faith in the angel's words, establishing his heart for the coming of the Lord was at hand. In fact, Joseph knew that he would soon hold the Lord in his hands. The reality of it is, all of this was incredibly unorthodox. Joseph witnessed the birth of the Christ as Bethlehem and the rest of the world lay sound asleep. He almost certainly withstood criticism and mockery and disdain, for tolerating and taking in a perceived adulteress as his wife. And while firmly anchoring himself in, in the great plan of salvation that God had revealed to him made perfect sense to him, for the rest of the world, they, they likely had a hard time seeing Joseph's actions as doing anything but throwing his life away. But Joseph followed God anyway, no matter how unorthodox the path set before him. Joseph lived out what, what Paul calls in Romans chapter 1, the obedience of faith. Joseph obeyed because he believed. Joseph's actions sprang from his trust in God and his revealed plan. And so when he awakens from his slumber, Joseph rises to immediate, unquestioning, unflinching action. Brothers and sisters, this is your call to action today. How will you respond to God's call in your life to take up your cross and follow him? When adversity strikes, when those around you fail to understand why you do what you do, when God's plan may be pretty clear to you, but is it, it is completely at odds with the culture around you, what will you do? In a world where it is unorthodox to obey God, Will you boldly go forward in faith anyway? Will you lay everything on the line and love 
no matter the cost. God did. God loved us and laid everything on the line for us, even his own son. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Names are important. The name Jesus literally means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. At that time, the father was responsible for naming the son on the eighth day. When the angel commanded Joseph to name him Jesus, it was essentially a command to adopt Jesus as his own son. An unorthodox way of becoming a father, perhaps, but, but Joseph became a father nevertheless. It matters not how God has brought you to your current vocations, your current situation, the current state of your mind or your heart. That's where you are. And it is a gift given to you from God, a task for you to complete with joy. So how will you respond to the unexpectedly wonderful things that God has done in you and wants to do through you? This is your invitation to stand out, to be different, to be unorthodox and strange in the eyes of the world. But make sure that it is always, always about Jesus. It's quite intentional that the last word in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel is Jesus. Not only does this highlight Joseph's obedience of faith and following through on the angel's command, but it especially emphasizes God's gift of the one who came to save us from our sins. Jesus is the last word for Joseph and for Matthew and for us. He is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us as Emmanuel. So may he be found on our lips, in our lives, and in our hearts as we live as his people, awake, tolerant, anchored, and unorthodox. In Jesus' name, amen. And may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in and through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.